There's a story that I'd like to share with you. It's mainly a story about loss. Loss of sanity, loss of life, and the loss of a sense of security on the Saskatchewan prairies. In the early morning hours of Tuesday, August 15, 1967, a complete stranger entered a small white farmhouse near Shell Lake. By the time this stranger left, nine people inside the home were dead. This is the story of one of the worst random mass murders in Canadian history. This is the Shell Lake Massacre. You're listening to Episode 1, The Petersons. I'm your host, Brittany Caffey. This episode contains depictions of violence and other content that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. I grew up in a small Saskatchewan village called Leoville. Picture a tiny cluster of homes and businesses surrounded by cattle farms and canola fields. There's one paved road running through the center of town and a grain elevator casting a shadow over Main Street. A lot of people might describe that town as quiet, sleepy, serene even. But growing up there, it felt anything but. When you live in a small town, you quickly learn that people are always watching and always talking. It's hard to keep a secret in a small town on the best of days. And on the worst of days, especially when tragedy strikes, The story spreads like wildfire, and it takes a long, long time for that fire to go out. I grew up hearing whispers of a tragic story that happened in a nearby community years before I was born, the Shell Lake Massacre. An entire family murdered in their own home in a small farming community, just like the one I grew up in. As a child, the story was the stuff of nightmares. Now, as an adult, it somehow seems even worse. Shell Lake is about a 40-minute drive from my hometown. It's a really small village, home to just 189 people these days, based on the most recent census data. The Village of Shell Lake website describes it as one of the most picturesque communities in the parklands, and that really doesn't feel like an exaggeration. But even with the beautiful scenery, The memory of what happened in that farmhouse in 1967 seems to linger over the community. While almost everyone in the area has heard about this crime, not many people really know what happened inside the home of Jim and Evelyn Peterson on that fateful morning and to the community in the days that followed. But I know someone who knows this story inside and out. Hi. Hi. How are you? (laughs) Not too bad. You found your way in. Kathy Hill is my great aunt. She's also the only remaining member of the Peterson family. While so many remember the Petersons simply as victims, Kathy remembers them as her mom and dad, her brothers and sisters. And before I tell you about what happened to the family, I'd love to tell you about the kind of people they were in hopes that you will also remember them for more than just what happened to them. My dad was James Frederick Hudson Peterson, called Jim. He was born in the Paddling Lake area of Saskatchewan, and he had 
two sisters, Evie and Elsie. Based on family photos, Jim and his sisters seemed to have a beautiful childhood growing up on the farm near Shell Lake that their father had purchased in the 1930s. There are photos of the family working in their yard and garden, riding horses, playing instruments, all with big smiles on their faces. During the Second World War, Jim served overseas. He returned to Saskatchewan in 1945. The Veterans Land Act had passed a few years prior in 1942, a government program that provided financial assistance to veterans who were returning from war and hoping to establish themselves on farms and in rural communities. Thanks to this program, Jim was able to purchase a half section of land near Shell Lake, just half a mile south from the farm where he had spent the majority of his younger years. Shortly after Jim arrived home and settled back into life away from war, he fell in love with Evelyn. My mom was Evelyn Mae Finlayson, and her parents were Norman and Martha Finlayson. She was born on the 23rd of July, 1925, in Borden, Saskatchewan. She had a sister named Norma, and she was exactly 11 months younger than Mum. She also had a younger brother named Lorne, who is still alive and living in B.C. The family moved to Shell Lake when Evelyn was still a child. She'd always been a very quiet girl, and by all accounts, that didn't change much as she got older. Even as a young woman, she was very reserved. Although they had grown up so close together, Jim and Evelyn hadn't really gotten to know each other until he returned from the war. It didn't take long for their relationship to blossom, and they were married on September 25, 1946, in a small ceremony in Shell Lake. They started a family shortly after their wedding. Within a year, they had welcomed their first child, Kathy. Nine more followed over the next two decades. Jean, Anne, who died in infancy, Mary, Dorothy, Pearl, William, Phyllis, Colin, and finally, baby Larry, who rounded out the Peterson family. Kathy remembers her dad as a hard-working and reliable man. He spent a good most of his time farming. Uh, Sundays we'd go to church, but the rest of the week he worked. He was very easygoing most of the time, but he did have a short temper, which I think probably reverted back to the war. And I know you never, ever touched him when he was sleeping. You stood back and yelled at him to wake him up because he always came up fighting. But uh, he loved everybody, all the kids. Got along with everybody, pretty much. But if he said he was going to do something, he did it. Very stubborn that way. Her mom was soft-spoken and a very gentle person. Mom was... Pretty much very quiet, laid back. She never raised her voice to anybody. Never got after us kids for anything, really. She'd leave all that to Dad. She used to get me up in the morning to make breakfast so she could go out and milk cows because that was her quiet time. And with nine kids at home, that quiet time was treasured by Evelyn. Kathy says that growing up in a house full of so many kids was chaotic, but in the very best way. Actually, it was a lot of fun, really, because you didn't have to look anywhere for somebody to play with. You could have a ball team on your own if you wanted, and 
we spent a great deal of our time outside or with the cousins. And summer holidays was always spent at one family or another. Sharing memories of her siblings seems bittersweet for Kathy. She has great memories with some, but many of her brothers and sisters were just too young for her to have had the chance to make memories she wishes she had. The one next to me was Jean. Uh, she was a good athlete. And then there was Mary, who did pretty much well at good in school. And Dorothy and Pearl was another, the next one down. She was fairly quiet. And then there was my brother William, and he had a lot of problems. He hadn't started school yet, but he had been born with a valve missing that drained the fluid from the brain back into the spinal column, and he'd had surgery in the university hospital, which was only the second surgery ever done. And uh, actually, I ended up paying the rest of his hospital bill after he went. And then the other ones, well, there was Phyllis, and she was actually my baby. I'd looked after her most of the time because there was two others after her yet. So, and then Colin and then Larry. Larry was just a year old. We were close. Gina and I were especially close. Like, she liked to get out and help on outside. She didn't really want to do anything inside. She was more of an outside person. She liked doing chores and things like that. Mary, not so much. She seemed to be an instigator, liked to cause trouble. <laughs> and Brother William was... My kids remind me of him a lot because he was always looking for trouble and full of the devil. he torment everybody. Kathy was 14 years old when William, Jim and Evelyn's first son, was born. She recalls how thrilled her dad was to finally have a baby boy in the family after welcoming six precious girls. I can still remember because we had to come to town so he could phone the hospital to find out what, whether the baby was born or not because he didn't dare leave everybody home alone. And uh, he was in the phone booth and he had left the door open, I think. But all I remember hearing was him, a boy, and he was just screaming. <laughs> the phone lady there, and she was looked at me and started laughing. <laughs> but yeah, he was very excited. In the early 1960s, Jim's parents left the homestead that he had grown up on and moved into town. Jim and Evelyn made the decision to move their family from the farm Jim had purchased after returning from the war to his childhood home. The house was small and simple, but comfortable. It was only a two-bedroom. Uh, there was the kitchen, the living room, and then a bedroom off of that and a bedroom off the kitchen. So it was very small, but we had two bedrooms, two beds in, in the one room and a fold-out couch in the living room that we took turns sleeping on. <laughs> but usually there was three in a bed. And uh, we hadn't lived up there all that long. I think maybe about four years, five years. Before that, we were half a mile south in a bigger house 
but it was not well insulated and it was cold, cold in the winter. Whereas the one by the highway, we had a furnace in the basement for heat rather than just a, just a heater in upstairs. So it was a, a much warmer house, but much smaller. A picket fence surrounded the front yard of the family's new home and a lilac bush that Kathy still remembers planting thrived next to the path that led you into the house. The Petersons had a mid-sized dog named Skippy, who could usually be found near the front yard greeting familiar visitors with a friendly bark. Two concrete steps took you up onto a small wooden stoop where a Virginia creeper vine climbed up the fading white paint on the front of the house. Through the front door was a small porch. Steps past the porch was the kitchen, and Jim and Evelyn's bedroom was just beyond that, in direct sight of the front door. If you looked to your left when you entered the home, you would see the family's living room, complete with a couch, a fold-out cot, a toy rocking horse, and a gramophone, a family heirloom that had been passed down from Jim's mother. Just off the living room was the bedroom where the children slept, containing two double beds and two dressers. In that small white farmhouse by the highway, life went on for the Peterson family, much like it did for most families in the area at the time. Jim stayed busy with the endless list of tasks to be completed around the farm, while Evelyn kept house, managed her own farm chores, and cared for the children. They didn't have a lot of free time, but when they did manage to socialize, they would spend time with neighbors, visiting, and playing cards. The children attended school in the nearby village of Shell Lake, spent time playing and riding horses with friends, and helped their parents around the house and farm as much as they could. It was a quiet life, but it was a good life. The Petersons were a well-liked family in the area. They had no enemies and no one seemed to hold any ill will against them, which made what happened in the summer of 1967 all the more shocking. Some of the last memories that Kathy has with her family are from her wedding. She married Lee Hill on July 7, 1967, in the same church that Jim and Evelyn had been married in almost 21 years earlier. She was just 19 at the time. It was a very small wedding. There wasn't even enough space to invite all of their many cousins, but Kathy's entire immediate family was there. Her sister Jean was a bridesmaid, and her mom helped her get ready, styling her hair and helping her put the finishing touches on her bridal outfit. Jim proudly walked his daughter down the aisle, and he wanted to make sure that he looked good on Kathy's special day. I remember he asked me if he should buy a suit for the wedding. I said, no, there's nothing wrong with the suit you have. It was one he had had when he was in the army, so <laughs> it was almost 20 years old, but it still fit and looked good on him, so I didn't think he needed to spend any money on a suit for himself. Two days after their wedding, Kathy and Lee packed up their car and got ready to make the long drive to Chetwin, British Columbia. Lee had work lined up and the two planned to start their life together there as newlyweds. The Petersons didn't have a phone, so they knew it would be quite a while before they would have the chance to speak to Kathy again. That was a tough pill to swallow, especially for 17-year-old Jean. I still remember when we left the house after everybody said goodbye to everybody, and Jean was crying. And she said, I'm not going to see you again. 
And I said, well, yeah, you will. But it worked out that she didn't. After a bittersweet goodbye, newlyweds Kathy and Lee got in the car and drove away from the Peterson farm, blissfully unaware of how soon they would be back and how completely different things would be when they returned. With Kathy away, life on the farm continued for Jim, Evelyn, Jean, Mary, Dorothy, Pearl, William, Phyllis, Colin, and Larry. Although they were missing their eldest daughter, the eight children at home kept Jim and Evelyn busy. Jean, the most athletic of the bunch, had been invited to attend the Legion Track and Field Camp in Dundurn at the end of August, and Jim was working hard to ensure he had the money to send her. Wildrew Lang, a close friend and neighbor of the Peterson family, was over on the evening of August 14th. He would later recount the events of that evening to Kathy and other neighbors, giving us an inside look into how the last evening for the Petersons played out. Jim and Wildrew sat visiting while Evelyn worked in the garden and the children meandered about the yard. The men made plans for the next day. They agreed that they would clean out feed bins and move about 50 bushels to a nearby grain elevator. Jim hoped to make about $70 for the grain and planned to use that money to pay for Jean's upcoming stay at camp as well as a trip down to Dundurn for the rest of the family to visit her while she was away. Wildrew stayed well into the evening visiting with his longtime friend, but eventually decided it was time to head home and get some rest before the busy day of work that would follow. Jim walked him out to the driveway. The moon shone brightly in the sky, illuminating the friends as they bid each other farewell. As Wildrew ambled away from the Peterson home toward his own farm, there is no way he possibly could have predicted that by the time he returned the next morning, all but one person in the home he had just left would be dead. Documents obtained from the Court of King's Bench in Battleford give us a glimpse into what happened next. Jim and Evelyn Peterson woke early on the morning of August 15, 1967. Evelyn fed baby Larry as Jim sat on the edge of the bed and began getting ready for the day. The rest of the children were still sleeping. 11-year-old Dorothy was on a fold-out cot in the living room. In the second bedroom, 17-year-old Jean, 13-year-old Mary, and 4-year-old Phyllis shared one bed, while 9-year-old Pearl, 5-year-old William, and 3-year-old Colin shared the other. An unexpected noise arose on this cool, quiet morning. The whirring of a motor vehicle approaching the Peterson home. The crunch of tires turning on the dirt road grew closer and closer until finally, it stopped. The vehicle sat for a moment in the driveway of the small white farmhouse. A door opened and closed, and footsteps approached the front door. As Jim Peterson heard this person approaching, he shouted out, Who is it? There was no answer. As the front door of the home that had been a safe haven for Jim for the majority of his life was violently thrust open, he asked again, Who is it? Again, there was no answer. Jim stood up and asked one final time, Who is it? Who's there? The intruder was now in sight. He never did respond to Jim's question. He just raised his weapon and pulled the trigger. 
You've been listening to The Shell Lake Massacre, a Rolko Radio production. This show was researched, written, produced, and hosted by me, Brittany Caffey. Supervising producers, Murray Wood and Sarah Mills. Story consultant, Craig Siliphant. Production support from Dallas Dole. Graphic design by Jennifer Losey with Rolko Creative Strategies. Special thanks to Aaron McNutt and John Gormley.